0: With that, we're back to Hebrews. All right, we've been uh, going through the letter to the Hebrews, or the uh, some Bible scholars call it like a, a, a composition like we had to do. In a, I remember in school we had to write a composition. has to be 100 words, and it's, so, oh, my God, I lost count. How many words do I got? I could never do that until I got out of school, and then... Uh, I wrote. I found a notebook when I was over in Tahiti, and I, I wrote uh, in the notebook uh, all the stories and adventures that we were having, and I sent it to my mom. After raising thirteen children, my mom went to uh, college and got a degree in English. <laughs> and she, she, when uh, I saw her after uh, uh, a while, I think I'd been gone like four or five years. She said, oh, you know, I really enjoyed uh, the stories you wrote. You have a really good writing style. And I thought, oh, well, praise God. I guess it works. <laughs> praise God. But here, somebody, we don't know exactly who, wrote this letter or this composition to the Hebrews to try and get them to understand what Jesus really did for us all. And so we're up to chapter 8 and verse 1. And the writer starts out by saying now the point in what we're saying is this we want to sum up there's no time to explain let me sum up yeah, he's actually actually really explaining it very well the point is this we want to make sure that we keep the main thing the main thing is that what jesus did is so amazing so life changing so astounding You know, Christmas is coming up. Christmas is wonderful. We celebrate the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus is one of the most important events that ever happened in the history of mankind. The other one is the death of Jesus, where he paid the price for all the sins of the whole world. But the third event, and the most important one, I believe, is the resurrection of Jesus, where he proves that what he did was more than enough, was all sufficient to pay and to make us have a way available to have a relationship with God the Father. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. So, here we are. This is the point. The main point is that we have a high priest who is perfect who has done everything necessary and whose one sacrifice is sufficient for all time it says here that he is the one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty we have such a high priest he is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven glory to god he's there He's, uh, the reason he's sitting down is because he successfully completed and accomplished what he needed to do. So he's done working. Remember when Jesus gave up the ghost, as it says in the old King James, when he died on the cross and gave, yielded his spirit, he shouted out in a victorious shout, It is finished! And he gave up the ghost, it says. Hallelujah. But Listen. He's the high priest. He's gone in to the most holy place, the real place, a minister, it says here, of the holy places, the holy of holies, the true tent or tabernacle that the Lord set up, not man. This is talking about heaven itself. Jesus went there. Listen to what it says in John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. Mary Magdalene has gone there uh, with uh, some of the others to the tomb, and it's empty, and she's crying. And Jesus appears to her, and she doesn't recognize him, and he asks her, why are you crying? And she thinks he's the gardener, which is kind of funny. <laughs> People don't recognize Jesus right away. Can? And uh, she says to him, you know, if you've taken his body, please tell me where you would hit it. They don't don't understand that he's not dead anymore. And he calls her by name. Glory to God. Aren't you glad that Jesus called you by name? Amen. Jesus called you and I by name. Jesus knows your name and he calls your name. And you've answered, hallelujah, now you have a relationship with her. But she sees Jesus and she runs over and hugs him and, and he tells her these words, don't cling to me. Not because he doesn't like her. But the reason is because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Then in verse 19, later on that day, in the evening time, they're all scared. They're in the, in the building. The doors are locked. And Jesus somehow gets into the building. Doesn't say how. But he appears to them and says, hey guys, peace be with you. I'm here, I'm alive, hallelujah. And the reason he did that is because he had ascended to the Father that day and come back down. His present location, according to Matthew Henry's commentary, is at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. Most of us have no idea what a majesty is. You know, you you just can't go in and sit sit down and knock on the door and walk in and say hi uh," to uh, the king or the queen of a country. You know, Queen Elizabeth has bodyguards. Those guys, I've seen a video on, don't mess with the palace guards over there in Brooklyn. Or not Brooklyn. (laughs) Over there in England. The guy's got this red suit. He's got the big hat. And a guy comes up and starts messing with him. Boom, he knocks him out. (laughs) Don't mess with the king's guards. They come marching down the street. Make way! And they just push people out of the way. You don't mess with the the queen's guards. Another guy, he's standing there. He's got an M16 or a nice, a big rifle. All of a sudden, some guy starts climbing on the fence. Picks his rifle up. Get off the fence! You don't mess. You just can't walk in and say hi. But Jesus, because... His present location is at the right hand of the throne of majesty because while he was here on the earth, he was subjected to the worst humiliation, the crucifixion on the cross that anyone possibly could have gone through. Hallelujah. In Acts chapter 7, verse 54, while they're stoning Stephen to death, he says, I see heaven opened. Hallelujah. And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And I heard one preacher say, Jesus... He's described as sitting in all the other places, but he got up and said, hey, what's going on down there? There's my servant Stephen. And what does Stephen say to Jesus? He says, do not lay this sin against these people. Forgive them. That's what the whole deal is all about. It's about forgiveness. Listen to what it says. If you're familiar with Daniel, chapter 7, verse 9, verse 8, it says thrones are set up. Daniel's having a vision. And in verse 9, The Ancient of Days took his seat. Verse 10, The court convened and the books were opened. Verse 13, One like a son of man coming with the clouds approaches the Ancient of Days. Verse 21 and 22 says the horn made war with the holy ones and was prevailing until the ancient of days arrived and a judgment was given in favor of the holy ones of the most high. You and I have received Jesus as our Savior. It has made us the holy ones of the most high. And when Jesus ascended the day of His resurrection, that's when the court was convened, I believe, and that's when the judgment was uh, uh, given in favor of, of the Holy Ones, of the Most High God. Not guilty, hallelujah, can you say amen? Not guilty, you and I, because of what Jesus has done and put in our trust and faith in that, we are declared not guilty. And Jesus is there, seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, pleading our cause. He's the minister, hallelujah, the mediator between us and God. Glory to God. And therefore, we can approach God anytime, anywhere. This word minister, in the, according to Strong's Concordance, uh, in the Greek, is only used two times in the King James Version. It means, it's a Greek word, liturgos, where we get the word liturgy from. It means a public servant. Uh, it also means a, a worshiper of God or a benefactor of man. Can you say Jesus is a benefactor of mankind? Can you say amen? He's a functionary in the temple or in the gospel. But This is really funny. According to Vine's dictionary, uh, a minister among the Greeks was one who discharged a public office at his own expense. Can you imagine our public officials uh, administering the government at their own expense instead of the taxpayers paying their salaries and stuff. Wouldn't that be a wonderful idea? Way to go. (laughs) You want to be a public servant? Okay, you got to pay your own way. Hallelujah. Might change the government somewhat. Amen? Amen? (laughs) Hallelujah. But Jesus is the master of our redemption and our destiny. He's a functionary in the temple. He personally went into the real temple, the real holy place in heaven, hallelujah, there to plead our cause and declare us not guilty. The true tent, verse 2, is the whole, the real holy of holies that the Lord set up, he fixed it firmly. And it says, it makes the point here that the true tent, the Lord set it up, not man talking about Moses. Moses in Exodus chapter where uh, Wherever it was. Somewhere in Exodus. <laughs> Moses goes up to the, the mountain and God shows him heaven and the sanctuary, the real sanctuary in heaven. And he tells him, make sure that you make it the same way. Look alike down there. Because that's how things work. Glory to God. Hallelujah. The true... Tent, the real holy of holies. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Let's stop right there for a second. Every high priest, these are talking about at this point in time when this letter was written, the temple was still there. They were still doing the ritual, animal sacrifices and all that. And every priest, they, the priest just didn't go in, you know, and do nothing. The people would give him the gift And he would mediate between God and the person who gave the gift. And the priest would come in. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 15, it talks about three festivals every year that all the men were supposed to go and attend. And God specifically says, no one is to appear before me empty-handed. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 20, it says you're to redeem your firstborn son and do not appear before me empty-handed. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16 says the same thing. No one is to appear before God empty-handed. Thank God that we could not ever pay what we owed, that Jesus paid it for us, but that doesn't let us off the hook. Hallelujah. We can offer ourselves, can you say amen? It is necessary. Every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices Thus, or therefore, it is necessary for this priest, talking about Jesus, also to have something to offer. Jesus did not go in to the real holy place empty-handed. Later on in the Hebrews, it says he went in there with his own precious blood, there to cover our sins. What a great, great, great thing he did for us. Let's go on. Now, everybody say, now. Now. Now, hallelujah. N-O-W, not of this world, nor the way. Now, if he were here on earth talking about Jesus, he would not be a priest at all. Why? I'm glad you asked. Because, he, as we saw last week, he's from the tribe of Judah, and no one from the tribe of Judah was supposed to be a priest. King Uzziah in the Old Testament reigned for 52 years. He got arrogant and he went into the temple and he went to offer incense and it was not his position to do that. And the priests tried to stop him said, you're not supposed to be doing that. I don't care. And all of a sudden it says in his forehead a disease broke out and he became leprous and they sent him out of the temple. You can't come in here. And for the rest of his life, He was a leper, glory to God, because like Jesus, he was not of the tribe of Levi. He wasn't supposed to be doing that, but Jesus, (laughs) he did it because there was a new covenant on the way. He would not be a priest at all because there are priests who continue to offer gifts according to the law. Now, the, remember, the whole purpose of the letter of Hebrews is to try and get the Jewish people to understand that they don't need to do those animal sacrifices anymore, that one sacrifice is sufficient forever. But these priests, in verse 5, they serve a copy, like we just mentioned, and shadow of the heavenly things. For When Moses was about to erect the tabernacle in the wilderness, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. There at Mount Sinai. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I like what Isaiah says in chapter 6. Everybody should be familiar with that. In the year that this leprous king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up Hallelujah. And, the, and on, seated on a high and lofty throne, and his robe filled the temple. And it goes on to describe everything. There's four angels that fly around all the time. All they pray, all they say is, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And it's so powerful that it says that the, the whole building shook and trembled. Glory to God. That's the temple, though. I thought, though, you know, I did some research and. And most Bible scholars believe that what Isaiah saw was God in the holy of holies and the real temple on, in Jerusalem. I always thought it would, he was seeing the temple in heaven. But the Bible um, commentaries I read say, no, that was the temple on earth and, and God was uh, visiting. <laughs> it goes on to say, who will go for us and Isaiah volunteers Praise God. But he understands, oh, woe is me, he says. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And God cleanses him. Praise God. According to the pattern, Exodus chapter 25, verse 40, that's where it was. Hallelujah. But Jesus' work is finished. That's why he's sitting down. There are Let's go on to the next, verse 6. As it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. Let's look, ho- first of all, the ministry. Hallelujah. Jesus, it's more, his ministry is more excellent than the old ministry, the covenant he mediates is better since it's enacted on better promises. When it says it's enacted, it means that a law has been established. And the Romans chapter three, verse 27 says that law is the law of faith. We're justified by faith. Simply put in our trust in Jesus. Can you say amen? He mediates between us and God. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that talks about Jesus being the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he is the mediator because he purged us from our sins. His work is finished. According to Dake's uh, commentary on the Bible, there are 85 contrasts that he found between the Old Testament or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. It says in verse 7 here, if that first covenant had been faultless, there was a fault with the Old Covenant. And it wasn't God's fault. It was the people's fault. One of the things that the Old Covenant failed to do is make people holy. Holy. It failed, according to the Jewish New Testament, failed to create the perfect relationship between God and humans. It could not guarantee the eternal life united to God that Jesus came to give us. Hallelujah. God tells him that he mediates. There's better promises. According to dates. there's uh, 750 promises or so in the Bible. Hallelujah. We needed the second covenant because the first one wasn't perfect. Let's go on. This might be a quick sermon. (laughs) He finds fault with them when he says, The days are coming. And this is a quotation from Jeremiah God finds fault. Paul quotes in Acts chapter 13, verse 47. He's preaching to the Jews in Antioch of Pisidia. And he says that, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel? I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. So I was pondering this, the days are coming, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse, uh, chapter 31, verse 31 through 34. He finds fault. And the days are coming. I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Notice it was, they were separated here. And this is a, uh, Jeremiah's uh, living around the time of the Babylonian captivity. So I got to thinking, hmm, I wonder is this new covenant, is it saying that it's only for Israel and Judah? Because what, it, what the new covenant did or what was predicted to be do, doing here is that Israel and Judah were separated at that time and when they were going to come back from Babylonian captivity, they would be united again. So is this new covenant for Jews only? I'm glad you asked that that's a good question is it for Jews only notice uh, I just quoted uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 49 verse 6 Paul quotes it in Acts chapter 13 verse 47 because the Jewish people in Antioch there they said you know what uh, we don't want this and so Paul tells them oh okay since you count yourselves unworthy of salvation and eternal life we're going to turn to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles rejoiced. They were glad. They said, okay, we'll like that. We want God to, we want to know that God loves and cares about us. We want to have a relationship with God. In Acts chapter 2, verse 10, on the day of Pentecost, I noticed that there was Jewish people from all over the world, the known world at that time, but there was with them also proselytes people the Jewish people were supposed to share the relationship that they had with God with the rest of the world if you read the Old Testament time and again it talks about especially in Isaiah that that God uh, I will call a people who are not my people my people in order to provoke his people to jealousy I'm going to know when God blesses you sometimes people get jealous I hope they have jealousy with a godly jealousy. If you want what I got, you want the blessing of God in your life, you can have it. Praise God. I hope that people can see in our lives that God has blessed us and that it was from God and we can tell people that God has blessed us and hopefully move them and stir their hearts to seek after God also. Hallelujah. The new covenant because not like the old covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. They did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. This is the words spoken through Jeremiah. And I thought, well, they did not continue in my covenant. What? Well, why would they do that? <laughs> Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 31 He's about to die and go be with God forever. In verse 27, he says to the children of Israel, you've been rebellious against the Lord when I was with you here. Verse 29, he says, I know that after my death, you will become corrupt. Great. Pastor Moses has got great confidence in us. We're going to become corrupt. And and he says, I know you're going to turn aside from the way in which I commanded you and evil will befall you in the latter days because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him into anger through the works of your hands. I thought that we're supposed to be confident in God's working people's lives. And here, Pastor Moses says, you guys, I know you guys are going to mess up. Oh, great, thanks. <laughs> After I'm dead, you guys are going to mess up. And, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff's going to happen. But sure enough... Here it says, Jeremiah says, uh, they did not continue in my covenant. Thank God that we don't have to follow all the rules and regulations. I don't know how many laws there is. Uh, Somebody counted them up, but there's a lot of different laws in the Old Testament that No one can follow all of them. Even Paul the Apostle, he said, you know, I I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was, as to, you know, following the law, I was blameless. But he says, all that was useless before God. All that was useless before God because he knew that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But thank God that Jesus came Hallelujah. Because in Isaiah, it's promised to restore. Hallelujah. And make us a light to the Gentiles. Let's go on. Chapter 10. Or verse 10. This is a continuation of the prophecy by Jeremiah. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days declares the Lord. Once again, is it only for Israel? I don't believe so. I believe that God wants everyone to be saved. What does it say in Peter's letter? God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. After the exile, they'd be reunited, and he goes on to say, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. King David, Prophesied in Psalm 51 verse 10, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. That's what happens when you get saved. Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit gives you a new heart. Hallelujah, because we know this because 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 says if anyone is in Christ, behold there are a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, some things become new. No, it says all things become new. Create in me a clean heart. King David prophesies. That's what happens when you become born again. You have a clean heart created within you. And then he goes on to say, I will be their God. This is Jeremiah's prophesying, speaking for God. God says, I will be your God. I and you shall be His people. Since you and I have received Jesus as our Savior, we have become God's people. It goes on to say, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor. Who does the teaching now? The Holy Spirit guides you into all truth. Doesn't say that, doesn't really necessarily mean that you don't have to have somebody teach you, but it does mean that the Holy Spirit will be there to help us learn. And each one, there'll come a day when we don't have to go and tell everybody about Jesus. Everyone will know the Lord. And then the old, uh, I have a uh, a Jewish Bible or Jewish New Testament translation at home. It says this literally means heed the Lord. Pay attention to what God's telling you and I. Listen to his voice. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Hallelujah. Heed the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Hallelujah. I like that. From the least to the greatest. Who's the greatest? Ha <laughs> ha What does Jesus say who's the greatest is? The greatest among you will be your servant. So it could mean that, you know, those who are very important and those who are not so important, everyone's going to know God. Because in verse 12 he says, I will be merciful toward their iniquities. What a wonderful thing. Mercy. God not giving us what we deserve. Hallelujah. And grace giving us what we don't deserve. How merciful. Psalm 32 verse 1 says these words. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. And one translation says, how blessed, with an exclamation point, how happy are those, uh, oh, happy day. Anybody ever hear that song? I love uh, uh, the, the, the way they sing it. The, it's the uh, um, Hawkins Singers. I forget the whole name of the group. Man, oh, happy day. He taught me how to pray and watch night and day. Hallelujah. A happy day. It's a glorious thing to have your sins forgiven. And to know, oh, they've been washed away. Because uh, I don't know about you, but there's uh, some things uh, that I did that I don't want to remember. And I don't want to tell anybody. Because God knows and God's forgiven them. It says that in Isaiah that our sins separate us from God. But God chooses to forgive and chooses to remember our sins no more because our sins keep us from God. But God wants to forget them and take them out of the way. Hallelujah. How blessed, how happy is the person whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin (coughs) is covered. Glory to God. God is good. Can you say amen? And let's see. Last slide here. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, my grandmother, when she was born, there was no airplanes, there was no television. There was, uh, in fact, I have a. Uh, I think I mentioned this before. I have a uh, phone book from Tucson from 1947. There's no television stations and no television uh, uh, repairman or anything in the phone book. It was all radios back then. But things as technology progresses, things become obsolete, like the phone on the wall that you had to dial. And when I was a kid, nobody had a computer. Dick Tracy had one, but it was make-believe. You know, he had the two-way wristwatch radio. Nobody thought, boy, that'll never happen. <laughs> and there it is. You got the two-way wristwatch radio. And man. Some things have become obsolete. So, God, in speaking of a new covenant, or not necessarily, well, a new covenant, because it's different from the old covenant. It supersedes, it fulfills the old covenant's needs and supersedes it. The first one is obsolete. It was dwindling away. As I said earlier, at this point in time when the letter was written, they were still doing the animal sacrifices in Jerusalem makes the first one obsolete. They say that every three to four years, or probably even sooner than that now, um, technology becomes obsolete because there's always research and development. I like research and development, especially in the construction industry, because somebody's always thinking on how to make things easier. Somebody once said, uh, if you want to find an easy way to do a job, give the job to a lazy man. He'll find an easy way to do it. <laughs> Thanks, God. Sometimes the methods that we used to use become obsolete because there's a better method. Easier, faster, quicker, more productive. So, this new covenant, the old one, is obsolete because we have a better one. A better covenant. Better promises. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. And it goes on to... This is all about, like I said earlier, all about explaining how the new covenant is better than the old covenant. Because, first of all, the wall of separation, remember what Jesus died, the moment he died, it says the temple veil was ripped in two. That was a great earthquake. And it, what it means is that we now have a place where God no longer is confined Anybody ever hear that saying, trying to put God in a box? Well, God's out of the box. Woo-hoo! It's not like, you know, the genie's out of the box. It's uncontrollable. Well, sure, you cannot control God, but God's not a genie. God is God. Hallelujah. And he's no longer confined to just a select few people. He's no longer confined to a place, specific place. You know, they call Jerusalem the Holy Land. Well, <laughs> The whole earth belongs to God. I've got news for everybody: the whole earth belongs to God, and God is holy, and we can approach a holy God through Jesus through this new covenant. I remember trying to explain uh, what the new covenant, what the covenant was about, and I was telling this other fellow. I said, "You ever hear that saying? Let's I'll cut you a deal." Said, yeah. So well, that comes from in the Old Testament when they would sign a contract. They would cut a deal by cutting an animal's throat, getting the blood, sprinkling it, having a meal, eating that animal. Say, "Okay, this is the covenant. This is the agreement we got. This is the contract. I cut your deal. Thank God that Jesus cut us a deal. Can you say amen? He cut us such a great deal that we can have hope of eternal life hope of the resurrection from the dead, hope to see our loved ones who've gone before us again, hope to have a relationship, a permanent relationship with the living God who loves and cares for us, who will never leave us, never forsake us, who's got our best interests at heart, who wants to use us and has made us usable. Can you say amen? The restoration of all things is at hand, the Bible says. Hallelujah. God is on the move. I heard a report that uh, uh, there's great revival going on in parts of Africa. People being raised from the dead. Miracles, uh, signs and wonders. But above all, people getting saved. Giving their lives to Jesus. The only thing that can transform a society for the whole better is for people to get saved and begin to live for God and love God and love their neighbor as themselves. I'll never forget, uh, I guess I believe it was Mike Huckabee when he was running for president and uh, they had a presidential debate and he said something. Someone asked him a question uh, about uh, the Bible and all that. And he's in public television or national television. He says, you know, a lot of our problems would be solved if we just followed the simple rule. uh, Love God and love your neighbor as yourself and do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That'd solve a whole lot of problems. But apparently, the world's not like that. But the world can be changed if they'll receive Jesus. So it's up to us to try to win the lost because last week, we remember, verse 25, it says, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's holy, he's harmless, undefiled. Glory to God, he's a good God. Amen. Hallelujah. Next week, we'll look at chapter 9. Uh, Pastor Wayne and Michelle will be back. And there's that phrase in there I love who the New Testament how much more? Praise God. So we will wait for that for next week. Uh, we're getting closer. Uh, how many know that God has a Christmas tree? It's called the cross, amen. But I like Christmas. I like Easter because Jesus is in the news, amen. And it'll get people to think. You know why? Why do we Why do we give presents at Christmas? Because God gave us a gift. Hallelujah! His only begotten Son, His unique Son, His only Son. Hallelujah! What a blessing! What a what a privilege to be able to. Have a relationship with the living God. Amen. Praise God. Well, uh, with that, let's close in prayer.